We're continuing on with our series on the dynamics of destiny relationships. Um, very excited and just want to acknowledge those that are here watching with us on Facebook Live today. Um, just want to, first of all, congratulate you for, for staying with us. We're really digging into some things, and I'm so excited to share with you. I'm very, very prayerful on any parts of this series, but I'm very, very prayerful as I walk through this specific um, subset within the series of teachings that we're going to do, um, because I've heard so many things that people have taught on this that have not been in the spirit of what I've seen Christ minister. And so that's been my, my true aim to help you get a fresh look at um, some commonly quoted um, and, and commonly misquoted, I think, uh, passages of scripture. And so I'm praying that as I slow down and go through some fundamental keys that'll help us understand this whole concept of headship and submission, that uh, you'll, get, you'll be blessed by it. You know, um, I've had the pleasure, I was away uh, this weekend doing the things that I'm telling each and every one of you to do, which was I pushed pause on all my ministry assignments to go away and spend some time working on my own marriage to make sure everything was everything, because, right, we talk about maintenance and that we want it to be enhanced. And so things that I'm telling you to do, I just want you to know I practice my own preaching. Um, and I'm working on my thing, like I'm challenging all of the married couples to do as well, to work on your relationship to make sure that it stays strong. So I'm back here with some fresh energy and some things that the Lord really has instructed me to share. Um, not a lot of new material today, um, but just deepening ourselves in some things that we shared last week. Um, in, in my absence, we did some things on prayer. Um, I had the one-two punch of um, uh, Brother Jonathan, um, Jared for Men of Destiny, and then on our Sunday service, uh, Minister Eva Jared ministered both of them on prayer. And so they were literally the dynamic duo. I mean, it, I, I was looking at this, I said, this is really, really good. And uh, so if you, if, uh, if, if you haven't reviewed both of those, please go out to our Facebook page and watch those. Um, because you're going to get some great insights on prayer for both of them. And, I, and I've, I thought it was very clear that they are coming together and agreeing in prayer, and then they are giving principles that will bless you in your agreement and the things that you're interceding for. Would you do that? All right. Um, if you haven't done it so far, please hit the, hit the hearts and the likes um, and uh, share this. And please comment. Tell us where you are, where you're watching from. Um, and uh, just so that we know who, who's being out there and who's reaching, uh, being reached by the word. It's always a blessing to hear your testimonies. So please take the time to do that. And then we'll come back at you at the end and, give you, and tell you how you can partner with us to help us carry the word and the difference of destiny to the uttermost parts of the earth. All right. Dynamics of destiny relationships is our topic for today. Um, four objectives here. Number one is to illuminate the basic power of relationships, especially relationships developed for the purpose of glorifying God. We believe 
in within the subset of this series on relationships as we deal with marriage relationship that there's power that there's god power in relationships that have been developed for the purpose of glorifying god if the only purpose you have in your relationship is just what your needs can be and everybody approaches a relationship uh, I, I tell people at work that there is a station that everybody tunes into, W-I-I-F-M, and that's what's in it for me, okay? So, so there isn't, you know, that, that there is a benefit to you in any relationship is not a bad thing, but if the only benefit is how it benefits you, that's the only thing um, that's, that's, um, that's the driver for your relationships, then your relationships are going to be woefully shallow, right? And so we want relationships that in everything that we do, that our intention is to glorify God. All right. Number two, to elaborate on the love connection as the key to empowering relationships, the principles upon which relationships consist and by which they are maintained and enhanced. And our statement is, is that relationships should get stronger. They should get better, even though relationships go through tests. The expectation is, is that if we hear God's sayings and do them, that was the scripture that, that was the key for the marriage retreat that we went in. It was um, from Matthew 7 where Jesus says that he that hears my sayings and does them is like a wise man that built his house upon a rock. Those that hear his sayings and didn't do them and hears Jesus' sayings and don't do them is like a foolish man that builds his house on the sand. The interesting thing is, is that the storms happen whether or not you wise or foolish. The storms of life come to us all. Everybody got stuff that they got to go through. Nobody gets exempt from that. The question is, the question on whether you're wise or foolish is not are you in a storm. The question is, do you last through the storm when it comes? All right. So our statement is that we are learning principles and then we're being wise to build our house based on these principles so that our house can not only stand, but it can grow through the storms. Amen. Three, to differentiate the various types of spiritual, natural and social relationships and their purpose from being forgot from God's perspective. And our statement is that marriage is spiritual, natural and social. It's a spiritual thing because two spirits become one and create a brand new entity, right? It's a natural relationship because sometimes you got to do some stuff like, you know, like, you know, it's not all holy ghosty, but I got to go, you know, take out garbage and do some things. Okay. Got to go to work. Yeah. That, now, I mean, that sound all super deep, but child, please. Right. And then it's a, it's a social thing because sometimes um, I need to vacate. And as I told you before, vacation is as important as vocation in a happy marriage. And then finally, number four, to motivate you to be more intentional in your relational roles at every level for relational success. Okay, so just some, some key points here. Um, just reminding you that we believe that God has raised us up to teach certain things and to teach it from a specific perspective that will strengthen those. Why? Because Romans 10 says that if, if, if we don't teach the thing that God has sent us to teach, then people can't hear it 
they can't believe it, and then they can't call to it. And if they don't believe and call to it, it won't manifest in their situation. So if there's things that we say today and you really see it and it witnesses to you as truth from the word, but it's not yet in your life, that's okay. Call to that thing, right? Believe it and receive it and call to it. That was one of the things that Minister Eva challenged specifically on in the area of intercession is there's stuff that you just had to believe and call to it until it manifests in your situation, all right? So we gave you, um, we gave you a key statement, and it says that there is a grace to be either magnificently married or successfully single. We found that there is grace, that there's a gift, and each of those graces has to be received by faith. I, I am firmly of the impression that one of the reasons why we don't have um, more magnificent marriages is that we didn't have people that were truly successful in their single life, and then they just rushed into marriage as if marriage would solve um, a failure in, in their singlehood. So, um, you know, in the phase you're in, you know, learn to love to live in the skin you're in. And believe God for what you're believing for. And, and my statement is you should be believing for it, okay? Put your mouth on it and, and really call to the thing that you're believing for, but be successful where you are on your way to where you're going. Amen? Okay, so we've been, we've been um, talking about uh, for really the last couple of months what it means, the grace um, to be magnificently married uh, from the perspective um, of a happy husband, right? And the husband's responsibility. And now we're going to start, uh, we've just started last week talking about um, the life of a wealthy wife. Well, why she got to be wealthy in Jesus' name? Proverbs 31 says her price is far above rubies in Jesus' name. So those are the things we believe in for. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, so we're going to go from Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we have previously read 21 through 33. I'm going to read 21 through 24 and then verse 33 because we're just going to deal with the aspects that have to do um, with the wife this time. All right? And some of this is review. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Then verse 22 says, wives submits to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, that's an important phrase, to your own husbands. So this is not, this is not women submit to all men everywhere and everybody. Stop that. Stop it. Just stop it. I have to say that because people say, preach that that way. All right. So it's important for me to say that. Verse 23 for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, so he can't do that to any old woman, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. She respects our references. So there is a unique relationship that God is dealing with us here that has to do with, uh, first of all, mutual submission, and then, this, and then um, a submission of the wife um, to her husband. 
So um, I gave you a list of eight things, and I'm just going to go through five through eight today that deal with the, with the wife part, because we've already dealt with in detail the husband's part about love and what God requires of him. All right? So um, the key points, all right? So our fifth key point was marriage works best in an environment characterized by mutual submission. Last time I gave you the example of a time where um, Sarah made a suggestion to Abraham and said, hey, we're not having any children, and um, you should take my, my concubine, Hagar, and have a child with her, which wasn't God's will. Uh, that was the time that he should have put on his headship authority. He didn't. He should have said, no, honey, we're not doing that. We're going to wait on God, G-A-W-D, God. You know, man of God. Some, some people spell man with the D at the end of it, but that's a story for a different day. So he should have established his, his authority there and say, no, we're not going to do that. I am overruling you on that one because that went against the will of God. On the other hand, he didn't do it. And then down in chapter 21, in chapter 21, um, he, he, after having a son named Ishmael, Ishmael, when, she, when Sarah finally has a son, I think that's ch in, chapter, in chapter 20, I believe, is when she has the son. Um, or it might have been chapter 21. No, it's chapter 21. It's chapter 21, early on, she has a son. And then now her 14 or 15-year-old uh, stepson, Ishmael, is now... Um, is now mocking the son of promise. And she said, you get that woman and her son out my house. And, um, and then God said, listen to what she says. Even though you are the person who is positionally in, sub in authority in this situation, Listen to her because her wisdom is the wisdom that is the right thing in that situation. So a wise husband, even though you have the override authority, should be very sensitive on when you use it. All right. So marriage works best in an environment characterized by mutual submission. There are times when you need to submit to the other. All right. Number six on our list is the wife is expected to honor and yield to her husband in ways that are fitting with her covenant with the Lord. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. All right? So um, as you do this piece, it's got to be in ways that are fit to the Lord. There are boundaries, right? So stop the dumb stuff, all right? Number seven, the expectation of God is that, the, that a wife's submission to her husband provide a benefit to her. Submit to your own husbands, and it says, um, husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. That's where number seven comes from. And the savior of the body should get some benefit. Or uh, if this was the gospel, according to Tyler Perry, he would say, I can do bad by myself. All right. Number eight, it matters concerning the home. As long as it's within biblical guidelines, the husband is to have the final say. So there's guidelines, but there, there needs to be a final authority. And the final authority is the first one that God comes to when he's judging stuff. That's why he didn't come into the garden looking for Eve. 
Adam, where are you? Oh, I hid myself because this woman you gave me. Adam tried to do that deflection thing, but even though Adam tried to do it, God, God didn't move, right? So that's why my statement is, um, in my exercise of leadership within the church, I don't want to be the person that's got to do it all. My ego is not that, I'm not that needy, okay? Um, but I reserve the right to have final, final veto authority because the first person that Jesus is coming to when he talks about the church, he's going to say, David, where are you? And if I'm the person he's going to come to first, then I'm going to be the person who has the last say. <laughs> okay? And that's really what headship is. It means your final authority, but you're the first person who has to answer and give an account. All right? Okay. So, and we talked about the, the fact that it is submission, and this is the review pieces. Um, we showed you last week from Luke 12, 13, and 14 that even Jesus doesn't presume authority on every situation. He, is, he takes authority where his authority has been assigned, right? Um, and that's really important because there are some people to say that uh, every woman is supposed to submit to every man, and that's just, I'm sorry, that first of all, that's as dumb as dumb can be. Um, second of all, um, because it's so dumb, you certainly can't, can't find it in the word of God. Um, even in John 17, when Jesus prayed, he said, there's a bunch of people in the world, but I'm not praying for them. I'm praying for the ones out of the world that you gave me so that I can be over them so that they can experience eternal life. So there is, he says, listen, now I'm create them all, but the ones, the ones that I'm praying for is the one you put me in authority over. Okay. And so that really begins to go into this relationship and the empowerment that's in that when you are really engaged with the, 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 the husband and the wife really working this relationship of headship and, and help, helpful submission. All right, 1 Peter 3, 7. This is just some of the review points here. I'm going to speed up a little bit. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife. And I'm just going to re, re I'm going to modify the words because I, um, and I'm not modifying the Greek, I'm modifying how they translated it. Okay. So uh, uh, giving honor to your wife as to the more delicate vessel. That's the implication of the words. Okay. And as being heirs together, the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. All right? So it says to the husbands that your wife is an ongoing, permanent, continuing education class which, from which you will never graduate. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But the key word that we are emphasizing when we do this is the word likewise. Who is the person that husbands are supposed to be like? Now go back to 1 Peter 3 and 1. 1 Peter 3 and 1 says, wives likewise. Likewise, there's that same word again, likewise. But whenever there's a likewise, there's something in front of that that is telling me to be like. So husbands got to be like somebody, and wives do too. Wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word 
may be won by the conduct of their wives. So who is the likewise for husbands to be like and for wives to be like? Then um, last week, just for the sake of review, I'm not going to go back and review that list, but we walked and proved to you from 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, that the likewise that both of us have to be um, have to take as our example for either fulfilling the role of the husband or of the wife is Christ. That makes sense. All of us got to be like Jesus, doesn't it? Okay, now, now we got something that all of us can, can, can model after and an example that we should strive to be like. I need to try to be like Christ in every relationship I'm in. Right? So now... Um, that gives me some key key things that I can work on. All right, so I gave you this list last week, and I'm just going to um, go through this list and, and add uh, a scripture to it that helps to bring some of it out. Seven key points on headship and helps from Christ's example. Right? Number one, there is a relationship in scripture of headship and helps. There is this relationship of, of being a person in headship authority and having someone who is the helper. For example, the husband is the head. The wife is called the help meet. Didn't say help mate. People modify that word. She's my helpmate. Didn't say that. And then I've heard, um, okay, can I kick over the sacred cow? I heard, I heard some wives say their husbands are helpmates. Okay, don't do that. Your pastor say, don't do that. Your pastor says, don't do that. You're, you don't want a husband that's your helpmate. You, don't, you, you want him to fulfill the role that God gave him, right? Now, I'm, a, I'm going to explain it in such a way that you understand that help, even though it's second rank, doesn't make it second class. Your pastor going to help you, Okay. Uh, but but don't don't do that other stuff that's happening in the world, please. All right. So so there's this relationship. Number two, the husband is the head, the wife is the help. Number three, we say Christ is the head, and the church is the help. All right. Now, even our relationship with Christ says that while the church is the help. It's not even second class because we are seated with him in heavenly places and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, we can't make ourselves in that position, but he did. Right? It's not something that we did. I'm just, I, didn't, I didn't say that. Listen, he is the one who seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, raised us up and made us sit together. That's not, we are... We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. God did that. Now, I couldn't do that on my own, but I didn't do it on my own. Jesus did it on his own, and he could. So any one of those right there, I can't even say the church isn't second class because he predestinated us to be conformed into the image of his dear son. Amen? All right? Number four, if Jesus is the giver of the fivefold helps gifts, we're talking about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, then the Holy Spirit, who is called the helper, the paraclete, 
right, is the head of helps ministry. All right. Then we said number five, there is a matching gift in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of helps and governments. Governments means, which is a headship authority, literally means the person who steers the ship and then helps is the person who undergirds the ship that is being steered. Um, number six, so for both the example of headship authority or helpful submission, Jesus Christ is the standard. And then for number seven, for the headship authority, I see how he, Jesus Christ, dwells with the church and ministers to her needs and helpful submission. I see how he, Jesus, trusts that God won't allow him to be permanently damaged by taking the role under authority. All right, I got a scripture, 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, and I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible. So we're going to see this headship helps thing um, in several different, in several different uh, roles where somebody is the head in one and then the helps in the other. So let's look at it. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head, the authority over every man. And the man is the head of the woman, and, and, God, and God is the head of Christ. Now, um, I think the Amplified Bible you got there is not the classical Amplified. The classical Amplified, which is the one, media team, I'm going to want you to get because that's the one you, your, pastor, your pastor has. And it reads a little different. It's not, it's not that that's wrong, but, it's, but some people read that. Okay, so now, now that you saw it, let me explain why I wanted the specific version that I was looking for, not that that was bad. Some people read that because in, in, um, in the Greek language, the word man and husband and woman and wife are the same word. So you, have, you know how some words you have to read in context? I can say... Um, you read this book or she read that book. It's the same R-E-A-D, but I have to take the text in context to know which one is the correct statement that's there. Does that make sense? Well, I can read a statement like that and say, okay, the head of every woman is every man. If that's the case, you are in trouble. Lord Jesus. <laughs> But that's not what they're saying. It's talking about a covenant relationship. And so the covenant that a woman has with a man, if she's in Christ, her husband is now in authority over her. Now that fits with the other scriptures we have because wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Husbands see that you love your own wife. Right? I'm not out here loving every woman like I love Lady Nedra. Something wrong with me if I am. Okay, so then Lady Nedra doesn't have to have the same submission to everybody that she has to have to me as her husband. Does that make sense? Okay, but let's, let's, let's go, back, uh, go back to it at the beginning. So I'm going to read this talking about wife and husband. So go, go back. But I want you to understand that Christ is the, is the head or the authority over every man, and the, and the husband is the head of, of the wife. Okay, and God is the head of Christ. All right, so then let's talk about this. In the, in the case where the man 
is dealing with his wife in, in the context of the home. He's the head and she's the help. But hold it. When it comes to dealing with Christ, Christ is the head and now the man is the help. Right? Because he had to shift roles. Then, when it comes to Christ and God the Father, Christ may be the head over the man, but when it comes to his heavenly Father, the Father is the head, and Jesus Christ is the help. That's what that just said, didn't it? Okay? And so, the only being in the universe that doesn't answer to any other person is God the Father. You know what that just said? Okay. Everybody else has to answer to a higher authority. And when it comes to them dealing with their authority, that authority is now the head, and they have to shift into the help role. Okay. That's a very important thing. So when we talk about um, the whole word of submission, and one of the, probably next week I will um, actually walk you through and do a word study on the word submission, because some people think I cussed them when I told them to submit, and I didn't. It's not a cuss word, right? It's not, it's not evil. It's not, okay? It certainly, it certainly doesn't mean what people have made it to mean in terms of being, people think being in submission is being subservient. And it's not, it's not that. That's just stuff, that's just stuff people made up as they went on. Right? And say stuff about God that God didn't say about himself. All right, now let's go back and look at First Peter chapter 3, and now I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. After I read verses 1 through 6, I'm going to read verse 4. Um, we're going to read 1 through 6 out of the New King James, and then I'm going to read verse 4 out of the King James. All right? And it says... Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be able, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair wearing gold and putting on fine apparel. And by the way, he wasn't saying you couldn't have your hair did, wear jewelry, and wear nice clothes. That's not what he was saying. He said, just don't do all of that and don't have something else that he is trying to emphasize. Verse 4, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in the, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Stay there for a second. In, in earlier times, holy women 
Okay, so this is a holiness issue, according to this scripture. Okay, this is a holiness issue, according to the scripture. That's what that just said. And they trusted in God, not their husbands. They trusted in God, not the husband. They're submitting to the husband, trusting in God. Okay, verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. All right. And I'm going to talk about that one because that one is the one that gets people all up in arms. Put your gun up, right? Pump the brakes. Don't, don't hurt me. Don't, you don't have to do it, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm here to free you. I'm not going to try to bind you, all right? Now, let's look at 1 Peter 3 and 4, and just verse 4, and I'm going to read it out of the King James Version. And you'll see that it reads a little different. First of all, before that, it says, don't be adorned with the outside stuff. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. That's the key word that I want to talk about is that even a woman has a hidden man of the heart in and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. And then verse, which is in the sight of God of great price. All right. That's what I want to tell you. So there's a lot of there's a lot of insight in this scripture and uh, that I really want to help you on earth. And I really, while I'm in the process of helping you unearth this, please, just because you heard somebody say something in the past, when they read that, don't put that on me. I'm not them. I'm not them. Okay, don't do it. Um, I want to make sure that you understand what this scripture says. So I have some keys here, seven, seven keys on submission from 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 6. Seven keys on submission. Number one, there is a level of submission to your designated authority in marriage that can turn around difficult marriages. This first passage of scripture says, even if you have a husband that doesn't obey the word, then they can be one without your word. All right. So apparently the apostle Peter here is describing something that has power to turn difficult situations around. And I want you to be in faith for that. I want, I don't, like, listen, 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 listen. Sarah trusted God. If you got to do this, you need to be believing for the thing that the Bible says is available to you. That's why your pastor preaching this. Right? I'm not preaching this to hurt you. I'm preaching this so that the thing that God promises to the person who like the holy women of old did if you're doing what they do then you get what they got and listen i'm going to show you today that uh when abraham was out of pocket god fought for sarah yeah yeah i mean i wish as a husband i was perfect let me tell you i'm not but i'm confident that um if my bride stays in the place that God wants to have her, when, even when I miss it, God's going to take care of it. He did it for Sarah. All right, I'm going to prove that. You don't have to believe it yet. I'm going to prove it. Number two, submission does not equal subservience. 
Just because you heard that doesn't mean that God said that. I know there's people that preach it that way. I'm just not one of them. And the reason, Pastor David, why you do these things and put this on the screen so that my stuff is out there. You want to fact check me, go get your Bible. I got mine. <laughs> okay. And I know people say a bunch of stuff, but I'm telling you the Bible didn't say the stuff that people said. It didn't say he didn't, um, the word there, submission is not a term that means slavery. Okay, I know that people have taught it that way, but that's just not what the Bible said. That's just stuff people put on the Bible, all right? Submission doesn't mean second class, but it does mean second rank, right? But listen, you can, listen, you can run the world from, a sec, from the second chair. Jesus does. Oh, yeah, he, run, he runs everything even though he's in the second seat. He's at the seat, the right hand of the Father, but he's not in the Father's chair. He still runs it all even though, relative to his Father, he's still the help. Joseph said, Pharaoh said, only in the throne am I greater than you. But at your... But at your voice, they, nobody will, will do anything, say anything, or be anything unless you say so. I'm still, the, I'm still the one on the throne, but only in the throne am I greater than you. So second rank doesn't mean second class, all right? Um, now, let me give you an example. The actual word submission is a military term. It means that you are in orderly fashion underneath a greater authority. All right? So, as an example, whether they like him or not, unless President Trump tells the military to do something that the Constitution would call treason, they are obligated to obey him. Whether they voted for him or not. They're obligated because whatever rank they have is underneath the rank of commander-in-chief. Okay? That's a submission is, is stated in that light. Look at Matthew 8, 5 through 9. So as the commander-in-chief, he's the head, and the rest of the military is the help. Matthew 8, 5 through 9. Roman centurion is given an example here. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. That means he was in submission to a higher authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, to those 100 servants, 100 soldiers that, that reported to him, the centurion was the head, and they were the help, right? 
but relative to Caesar in Rome, Caesar was the head and the centurion was the help. Okay? So I want us to have a, a framework of headship and help that is bigger than, but well, I just mean, like this person is, I just, no, stop that. That, that, that centurion had a lot of power when it came to those 100. Them dudes would have gave their life for him. If he would have told them, Alexander the Great had men who marched off a cliff and wouldn't break rank, even though they knew that when they made their next step, they were going to die. They were submitted to his authority. So headship and help is a position of submission to a person that ranks in authority. Does that make sense? All right, let's go back to our list. Number three, um, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. All right? So the hidden man of the heart, that's the spirit man, even of the woman, lives with the revealed woman of the soul. So I gave you the, the scripture um, in 1 Peter 3 and 4, and I talked about the fact that you know, in the New King James, it says a hidden person, but the, but the actual word there is hidden man. It's not just person. Pastor David, why is that so important to you? Because my spirit is married inside of this physical body to my soul. The spirit man is the hidden man but the soul is the revealed woman. All right, let me give you a scripture on, on that one. Psalm chapter 34, verse 2. Read that one out of the King James Version. By the way, this, this, this revelation that I have here, this revelation is something that came from the late uh, Pastor Johnny Goodman. Um, this was his teaching on soul salvation. This stuff changed my life. This changed my life. All right, Psalm um, 34, verse 2 said, now this is, if you read verse 1, this is David speaking. And David says, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. All right? So David is saying, Inside my physical body, there is a hidden man, same thing that a wife has, but the, the hidden man of the heart is your spirit. The revealed woman is the soul. Now, why is it, why do I call this counterpart the revealed woman? Because your soul is the seat of your personality. And we know you by your personality. Okay, so, so there is within me, this physical house, a hidden man, just like in a, in a female, and the hidden man is the spirit. That's what, that's what Peter's telling us. Okay, it's hidden unless you let the spirit that's inside you come forth. The part that everybody sees is your personality. That's the revealed woman of the soul. Okay, so let's talk about this. Um, when I got saved, 
my, my spirit got saved, but my soul didn't change. If I had nasty thoughts before I got saved, I got nasty thoughts now. Unless I go through a process of renewing the mind, right? That process, Peter, in one of his passages of scriptures here, calls the salvation of the soul, okay? In other words, if my thought life was jacked up before I got saved, my the hidden man of the heart now is right with God, but my soul still has some stuff that it had before I got saved. So now inside my house, I got a house to, inside my physical body. My house is divided against itself because my spirit man wants to follow God. But my soul is like, listen, this is what I do when I get in this situation. I don't pray. The spirit said, pray for that person. The soul is saying, no, I used to cuss them out and I want to cuss them still. Okay, so what happens to a new believer? Their house is divided against itself, isn't it? And your scripture tells you that a house divided against itself shall not stand. So that's, that's the struggle. Now, as we think about this, the spirit has no way to make your soul submit. Now, why is that important? Because you have to, the soul has to decide that I'm going to follow the leading of the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I have heard dumb people, dumb preachers talk about, I had to make my wife submit. Where do you find that in the Bible? There was no passage of scripture that says, husbands, make your wives submit. Where do you find that in the Bible? You can't do that. The person who is under authority has to make the decision to submit. When it came to God the Father and God the Son, the, God the Father didn't make the Son submit. The person under authority has to choose to yield their authority to the one higher. So, because the will part is in the soul, not the spirit, then your spirit, your spirit can be willing and then your soul say, but I want to sleep. Remember, Jesus said, watch and pray to his disciples. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. The soul has to decide whether or not it's going to go to sleep like the disciples did on Jesus, or are they going to get up and pray? All right. By the way, this is why I never buy the argument when I'm doing marriage counseling on, and I've heard this argument several times, uh, pastor submission would be easier if my husband were perfect. Get real quiet. I'm just saying. I done heard that one. No, 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 no. Let me tell you why that's not right. Because if submission were easier, if your husband were perfect, then you should do everything Jesus said. Because as a head, Jesus is perfect. 
and I have yet to have somebody sit across from me in counseling, and they re track record with Jesus was, I did everything he said. <laughs> okay, so Pastor David, don't buy it when folks say, why well, it would be easy. No, no, no. And I see when I'm dealing with the husbands, I don't give them an out either. I mean, I've had brothers get, I mean, I'm telling you, brothers have gotten hot with me and say, you don't ever, I say, listen, when I'm talking to you, I'm not going to talk to you about her. When it comes to the husbands, it don't say to husbands, listen, you do your job and she does her job. It don't say that. So when I'm talking to a husband who I'm going to talk to first, I'm going to just talk to him about his stuff. But hold it. In this passage of scripture, it talks to the husbands about his responsibility, but then it also talks to the wife about her responsibility. And it says, here is a situation in 1 Peter, it talks about a wife in a situation even when the husband is not doing his part. So don't tell me that it only works if your husband is like Jesus Jr., because that's not what the scriptures say. Somebody say amen if I, if I didn't taught you out about, if I showed you something from the words. Amen. All right. So let's go back to our list. Number four. Um, number four says, though you can out-talk your husband, <laughs> this battle isn't won by words. Hallelujah. I believe, I believe husbands, 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 husbands. I've told the husbands, listen, if your wife likes to communicate, if your wife likes to communicate, you're going to have to open your mouth and talk. I'm just saying, you're going to have to have the conversation. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to hey. Um, you know, I will do all of this talking, and I have expended a lot of physical energy. I've, when I'm doing this kind of ministry, I'm expending spiritual energy because I know I'm fighting against stuff that people didn't heard. So I'm trying to knock down all kinds of stuff. I'm exerting myself spiritually. I come out of this, I'll go home and I just want to sit someplace because I have exerted spiritual energy. But my darling bride who's watching on Facebook Live, love you, baby. If she wants to talk, I can't get home and just say nothing. Sometimes she'll say to me, oh, you done ran out of words today, huh? Because I mean, I've been in the fight and stuff. You know, when I go to work, I am an introvert by nature. So I do run out of words, and then I don't want to talk no more. Now, my, my, my perspective is, when I go to work, man, I got to make them dollars. So I go to work, I get my mind right, and I go in there agile, mobile, and hostile. So I do what it takes to make the cash. And then when I'm done with that, I'm like, chill, I need to rest. But there are still times because I still haven't <laughs> fulfilled my wife's needs that I still have to have conversation. Got it? Even when I don't want to, I have to go into overtime and extend my conversation. Somebody say, man, if what I'm saying makes sense. Okay. However... There are times when, uh, as a wife, okay, some things you're not going to fix just by talking to him about it. That's what Peter said. They can be one, these situations can be one without words. Because I've seen situations where wives want to, 
I just want to talk you into it. And sometimes it's like, no, don't talk about it. We're we learning about prayer, so we learn how to take stuff to the next level when he's not listening to you. But some of this stuff is not going to be fixed by you talking to him more. That's what that passage of Scripture said, okay? All right, now let's deal with the part that deals with the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. So let's go this to number, yeah, I'm still, I'm still in number four. I'm still in number four, right? You, you, though you can talk your husband, the, this battle isn't won by words. Okay, so let's deal with this thing. Um, I have seen women try to, okay, okay, I, I'm going to put on the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, so I'm going to just be quiet. Uh, so let me give you a story. This is like spiritual jeopardy. So just giving you an example, but I just want to see. Um, uh, af after having been talked about relationships for the last couple months, I'm going to just see how wise we are about relationships. So um, imagine a husband walks into the, into the house, and then and he walks in, as he walks into the house, his wife is mean mugging him as he walks through the door. Like something, her face is short, clearly upset. And um, being the husband that has studied the dynamics of destiny relationships, he asked the appropriate question. Honey, is there something wrong? And then she says, no, nothing. Everything's okay. All right. Now, what should he do? She told him the words out of her mouth are saying everything's okay. But her spirit is saying something different, isn't it? Okay? So even though her body is quiet, her spirit is speaking volumes. And if a husband is dwelling together with his wife according to knowledge, he better know what her spirit is saying, even if her mouth ain't saying nothing. So if he's a wise husband that has listened to the dynamics of destiny relationships, he's going to wait the appropriate amount of time, and then he's going to go right back into it. Honey, is everything all right? Now, he's going to wait some time. Because, you know, timing is everything, right? You remember washing the water by the word. That's like the word rain cloud. So he's going to wait some time. But he's not going to act. Oh, she told me it was all right. It's gone. It must. But it just hurts. Just let her do her. No, 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 no. He asked the question a second time. Honey, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm good. Stop, stop, stop. Because even though her mouth is saying something, her spirit has said something different. What I'm trying to get people to understand is they read that statement. I've heard, I've seen sisters, and they're trying their best. They, they're like, listen, listen. I, I'm, the word says it even though I don't like it, I'm going to just be quiet. Because he's just telling me be quiet. He didn't just say be quiet with your mouth. He is saying that your spirit is quiet. Your spirit is at peace. And sometimes you're not saying nothing with your mouth, but your spirit is completely agitated. 
Okay? So please, please. <laughs> Sisters, I'm trying to free you. I'm trying to tell you, you know, people preach this stuff that you should just be quiet. Child, please. That's not what that was saying. Okay? That's not what that's saying. All right. Number five, your lifestyle is one of good behavior and high respect. It, it says, our passage of scripture says that your husband is one without a word by the conduct of their wives as they observe your good conduct accompanied by high res, a high level of respect. All right? And then it says that this adorning is to be not just looking good on the outside. And the Bible isn't saying that you shouldn't look good on the outside. It just says some people stop at the outward appearance and don't get to the thing that God says looks good to him. What it's showing you is, is that there is a part of you that really looks good to your husband. And God made you to look good because God made him visually stimulated. But there is something that God sees that's inside you that gets God visually stimulated. This thing is in the sight of God of great price. So there's some scriptures here I want to share with you on this one. 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 and 7. This passage of scripture was when David, when Samuel was sent to the sons of Jesse, to select a son to be the next king over Israel. 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. And it says, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, who was David's oldest brother, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. Just because he tall, dark, and handsome, don't believe that he the real deal. Because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Ah, so, so somebody's looking on the outside, and he says, listen, listen, listen. Um, he didn't say that there was nothing wrong with you fixing the outside. Baby, do what you do. You know, I mean, buy it, you know, weave it in, you know, fix it. Do what you do. You know, I pastor, <laughs> I am not trying to put you in bondage. I, <laughs> I just don't want you coming into destiny generation dressed like a harlot. I'm going to do something about that one. Other than that one, everything else is fair game. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, you know, if, if, you, if, if you're dressed to accentuate what you got versus you're dressed to entice people off of what they're supposed to be doing, there's differences. But... Outside of that, listen, fix the outside, but make sure that what you fix on the outside isn't done to the detriment of fixing what God sees on the inside. Let's, let me give you another passage of scripture around that. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Now, these other passages of Scripture, even though 1 Peter 3 and 4 is describing 
female situation, these other passages of scriptures are describing male. In other words, God is looking at men's spirits too. Because he looked at Eliab and said, no, man, his heart, I can't make him king. I already had a knucklehead to be king named Saul. I don't want another knucklehead. If I look inside his heart, what's inside him, I can't use at the next level. Oh, by the way, when you're in the premarital counseling process, those, that's some of the stuff you should be figuring out before you let him get behind the wheel and have to submit to him. Because if the blind lead the blind, both of them falling into a ditch. All right. Uh, Matthew 23 and 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrites is people that put on an act on the outside that's not who they are on the inside. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Your insides are as nasty as a grave. <laughs> Woo! I mean, Jesus was like, man, that, that was real gangster. You think you look good, but all you're looking good is what you are on the outside. On the inside, you hit. Okay? So make sure you don't look better on the outside than you do on the inside. Because you may look good to all of us on the outside, but Jesus, God is looking at you on the inside, and you may be full of nothing. That's what he's telling us. All right, let's go back to our list. Number six, we are taught... We have taught people to walk in the steps of faith that enable us to be the seed of Abraham, right? Romans talks to us, Romans 4 particularly, that we walk in the same steps of faith that our father Abraham walked. We, we are in Christ, we're Abraham's seed. We've talked to people, men and women, about being the seed of Abraham, but, but we haven't taught on walking in the steps of faith to be the daughters of Sarah but Peter says that there are some steps that women can take to be the daughters of Sarah. And one of the thing is that they put on an endowment that get God's attention. Listen, 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 listen. All right, I'm going to just say what I, what I hear the Holy Ghost saying. David's spirit was so good that when he was on the backside of the wilderness, what God saw inside of his spirit made pulled Samuel out to go find him to anoint him to be king even when he wasn't ready. So what I'm telling you is, now this is to my single sisters that want to be married. Listen, you get your spirit ready so God will have to send somebody to find you. He found, he found, he found David even though David was son number eight. And he was the one that wasn't invited to the party. All of the rest of the sons were invited and they were paraded in front of Samuel and Samuel was like, this is not the one. 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 Do you have any more sons? What I'm telling you is 
you do this thing and you put on something that gets God's attention, if you can get God's attention, he'll help you get the man of God's attention. That's some good preaching, Pastor David. Yes, it is. Yeah. You get your spirit ready. God found David because his spirit was ready. Listen, when the Lord told me to teach this, he told me to teach this, and I'm preaching it because I'm trying to get my sisters to have faith to do what it takes to have it because I'm believing for them that want to be married to get married. I want you to put something on you that makes God say you look good to the point where he has to send some man of God out of his way to find you. All right, all right. If you, you, can, believe God, you can believe me if you want to. I'm a, okay, I'm going to preach it anyway. I'm going to preach it anyway. If God will fight for Sarah because she was adorned with this, he'll have somebody find you. Yeah, he can. He, he made Samuel find David. He said, listen, you look at the outward appearance, but I see something in that, that boy's heart. He was just a kid. He wasn't a king. He was a kid. He wasn't a king yet. He was a kid. But what he had on his spirit made God find him. And what I'm telling you is you can, you can, you can adorn yourself with, the, with, this, with this spirit that is quieted before God where you fully trust in him that he says, no, I, brother, you need to change your direction. Go to Flint. What's in Flint? Oh, I got something for you in Flint, bro. All I know about Flint is the water. No, there's more than the water. I got something something for you, bro. I got something for you. I'm telling you to adorn yourself in a way that God sends somebody to look for you. All right, okay, you can do with that what you want to. My job is to preach it. Number seven on our list, this is our last one, and then I'm going to read a couple scriptures here. This scripture lets us know that Sarah was fearless. You are the daughter of Sarah. If you adorn yourself, be in submission to your own husband. She reverenced him, calling him Lord. If you do well and are not afraid with any terror, anything... Sarah was fearless. She had such confidence in God, she was fearless. Now, let's deal with this thing about Sarah called Abraham Lord. Now, listen, this was not something that she was saying with her lips. This is what she was saying with her heart. Because you can say Lord, Lord with your mouth and your heart be far from him. So some people say, that's my husband, I'm submitting. See, that's why I, 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 don't, listen to they, I don't listen to what they mouth saying. I'm the man of this house. Child, please, let me spend some time looking at you. I can tell who, who, really, who really running things. More often than not, it's not the one who's saying all of the words. Okay, all right, all right. You can say what you want to. This ain't my first ride at the rodeo. Genesis 18, 9 through 15, and then we're done. 
this is God. Um, Moses, excuse me, not Moses. Abraham is having a theophany when God speaks to him. So God came, flanked. Um, this is this is God coming with with angels with him. Um, he saw three visitors. One was the pre-incarnate Christ, and then two angels on his side. And then after God came to him with the two angels, the two angels went on into Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't get, God didn't come, God didn't, he's like, listen, I'm, I'm, sending, I'm sending my help to take care of that. But my man, I'm going to come see him myself. All right. Now let's look at what happens when the Lord spoke to him. Um, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 15. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And, and he said, they asked him one question, and then it says, and then he said, who was the he? That's God speaking to him. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. In other words, nine months. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were all well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. That means menopause and all that other stuff had all paused. There wasn't nothing going on but the rent. Verse 12. Now, look at, look at verse 12. This is an important point. Sarah is having a conversation, but her lips are not moving. Then Sarah laughed not with her, not with her mouth. She laughed on the inside. She laughed in her heart and God heard it. Then Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. So this was, this had nothing to do with Abraham ego tripping. Because when you talk submission, most people think that the husband is on a power trip. God, it wasn't even a conversation that Abraham had. He wasn't sitting around talking about, I'm the man in this house. So I wear the pants in this family. It wasn't even God talking. Excuse me. It wasn't Abraham talking. And it certainly wasn't God. It was Sarah talking. She was talking within herself, describing her husband as her Lord. All right. So let's go back to that one. Verse 12, I'm going to read that one again, and then we're going to go on from there. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to her according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, she didn't laugh where they could hear it. She was saying, I didn't laugh with my mouth. No, no, no. Even what you say on the inside of you, God hears. Okay. Now, remember what I say when some people say, you, you go to your wife and you say, what's wrong? She say, nothing. And her spirit is still talking. You should still be listening like God was. I'm just saying, husbands, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I'm giving you some dynamics here. Okay, so 
her laughter was not something with her vocal cords. But just because she didn't laugh with her vocal cords didn't, didn't mean, just because she didn't laugh with her vocal cords didn't mean that, that God didn't hear her laugh. She laughed in her spirit and God heard it. But in her spirit, she was referring to Abraham, not for his benefit. She wasn't stroking his ego because she didn't even say it for him to hear it. She said it that God could hear that as far as she was concerned, Abraham was the Lord of her household and she was second in command. And she trusted God. Yeah, she laughed, but she trusted God. How do you know that? Okay, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. This is our last scripture. By faith, Sarah herself. Uh-oh, we know of Abraham as the father of faith, but this scripture says that she was not hitchhiking on his faith. She had her own faith. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And she heard God herself and she trusted God herself. Listen, I believe that husbands and wife both have to have faith if you're going to walk in God's destiny. You can't make, you can't, you <laughs> You can't be God's man of faith and power and then married to a spiritual munchkin. Both of you got to be pulling on the faith wagon. Together, you both got to be agreeing together. All right. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. I'm challenging you, ladies. She wasn't confident in her man. She was confident in her man's God because he was her God. And she knew when her man, with all of his imperfections, didn't have his whole act together, God would stand up and defend. And when she went on in Genesis chapter 20, and her man put her out there, God said, no, I got this one. I got this one. I got, I got her myself. And she made that king recognize who she was. We'll talk about that. I'll go into that a little bit next week. Praise the Lord. I pray that this time, for those of you that are watching us on Facebook Live, I pray that this challenged you as well.